Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the Practical Voice Podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by the marvellous Botmock. If you're still writing code just to get a design to test, and you're spending all of your time nestled in code, or you're spending time using bits of paper and post-it notes and flowcharts and all of these different kind of ways that, that you use just to get ideas down and, and, and to test some stuff, then you should be checking out Botmock. Botmock is a fantastic tool uh, and companies of all sizes are using it. You can design all of your Alexa skills within here. You can collaborate with your whole team. You can test it. You can uh, you know, take it from design right the way through to content to develop a handover all in one application. It will save you a ton of time, a ton of effort. And rather than coding stuff, we've just been, we're going to speak actually in this episode about the dangers of getting straight down into just coding before doing any kind of testing, before doing any kind of prototyping, rather than having to go back and rework everything when you when you learn more about your experience and you need to change things, if you use a tool like Botmock, then you can prototype and you can build out uh, iteratively and easily and seamlessly and you can collaborate with your team, as I said, all within one platform. It is an epic, epic uh, platform, do check it out. And if you do go to botmock.com slash V-U-X world, you can try it out for free. That's B-O-T-M-O-C-K dot com slash V-U-X world. Thank you to everybody at Botmock for sponsoring this episode of V-U-X world. So this episode of V-U-X world is a intense episode. We are getting down into some supremely practical details all around voice testing and voice Design. We are joined by Abhishek Southern and Dylan Zwick of Pulse Labs. Um, Pulse Labs is the voice user testing equivalent, I suppose. It's almost like the equivalent of usertesting.com, if anybody's used that, but it's specifically for voice. Dustin uh, is joining us as well. He is on the call, and this is an immense episode. We discuss the importance of testing and how important and vital it is to do usability testing, and at what point during a project would you do that testing. But we also get into some supreme detail with the guys about some of the things that they've learned through doing testing and some case studies that they've worked on and out of that we discuss some mistakes really common mistakes that designers and developers are making we discuss some of the things that frustrate users immensely and more importantly we get the guys and the guys do share all of their recommendations for how to fix some of these things so it's an immense episode it's essentially the foundations or it covers a lot of the foundations of voice design uh, and mixed in with the importance of usability testing and a little bit about the uh, the Pulse Labs tooling. Fantastic episode. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to love this one. This is VUX World. Well, gents, thank you so much for joining us on, on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Boys and girls, we're joined by Abhishek Sudan and Dylan Zwick and also Dustin Coates. Hello, Dustin. Hey, Kane. Uh, and welcome, gents. Yeah, as I say, welcome to the podcast. We've been lining this up for, for a little while now. Dylan, I think we spoke at the start of the year, wasn't it? Yes, it was the start of the year when you were uh, still uh, 
trying to get the podcast to iron rolling. So it's really been awesome to see what you've been, what you've done with this so far. And uh, I love listening to it. So thank you very much for doing it. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for joining us. And Abhishek, it's nice to, nice to finally meet you. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourselves then. Should we start with you, Abhishek, and then we'll go back to Dylan and a little bit about yourselves and then we can go into a little bit about Pulse Labs? Sure. Uh, so just quick background. My background is actually it's, uh, it's engineering and business. So before uh, founding uh, Pulse Labs, I was at Goldman Sachs. Uh, it was part of the algorithmic trading team and then ran product strategy for the electronic commodity business. Um, one of the things uh, we did at Goldman was looking at a lot of emerging tech companies. Uh, that's actually what you know uh, also got me interested in the space. And uh, I truly believe we're actually what we're experiencing is uh, is a paradigm shift in human computer interaction. And uh, voice is not replacing other mediums of input, it's actually augmenting it. And we get increasingly moving into a multimodal space where you have touch where you have type where, and you're going to have voice augment that experience. Um, so that's actually got us, uh, you know, got me thinking and, uh, you know, Dylan as well, and he'll talk about it as to how we can participate in this space. Uh, and just like how uh, in, you know, in web and mobile, there was that entire ecosystem of developer tools that got created. Uh, that's essentially where we wanted to be uh, and help help build the ecosystem. It's actually really, it's really amazing to be, to be able to be involved in such a major paradigm shift at the ground floor and build it. So that's actually uh, kind of what got me excited or what got us excited in this space. Hmm. Um, yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. So, uh, so before this in my past life, I was the, uh, the director of data science at overstock.com, which is a major online retail uh, corporation here in the United States. And uh, in that role, basically my job was to study and try to understand how to make consumer experiences better and how to identify opportunities there that we could, we could leverage and manage. And so essentially focused on understanding how consumers want to interact with technology and uh, figuring out how to make that better. And when I so when I got an Echo and uh, played around with it and realized that uh, they'd figured it out, or at least they'd figured it out enough that a computer could really understand, you know, what you were saying, I thought I realized, okay, this is this is going to be huge, you know, because voice is kind of the most natural and most human way that we interact with anything. Um, it's kind of an, an essential part of what makes us human. And the ability to to interact with the computer in that way, I think we've known that was that was the future and that's where, where, we, where we wanted to go is, you know, basically for as long as computers have existed. But, uh, you know, it took us a while to get to the level of natural language understanding and, uh, and processing where that was actually possible. But we're here now. And so I was like, OK, we got to jump into this field. Nice. And then before then, I was a mathematician. I could talk to you about <laughs> algebra, geometry, <laughs> Yeah. So before we go any further, what is algebra? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uses it all the time on his all face. the time constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, that, is that your first question? Oh, yeah. Do you like algebra? <laughs> it's always baffled me, algebra. Um, when when did you first get your your first echo? Then Dylan, uh, I got it uh, actually right after it came out. So um, in early two thousand fifteen, actually. So and then yeah, um, 
played with it for a while, did a little, you know, played around with programming it a bit and, uh, you know, kind of realized, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be an important and, and big thing very soon. Abhishek, so, when did actually, you get, first get yours? Uh, 2016. But one thing about Dylan, so when we moved uh, as part of the accelerator last year to Seattle, so Dylan and his, uh, his fiancée uh, fiance at that time, who's now his wife, they actually drove up from Salt Lake City. Uh, I was already there, so I was like, hey, I'm going to like help you move your stuff. Go, and we opened the door, and like 16 echoes and echo shows. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, we're not like reselling mm. these. We're like, <laughs> Soft yeah, yeah. like, what's going on here? He's like, no, no, no. For testing purposes, or is your, is your house just like entirely echoed out like everything is like the blinds and the like the light switches oh, yeah. and everything so, so it's echoed out it's got um you know both echoes that are set up for personal and for business and then on the business side i've even got ones that have little flags on them so they have like a, Can- a canada flag and a uk <laughs> flag and a US flag because they're all um you know set to those individual countries yeah and yeah. now we obviously do uh you know we do a lot of testing for google as well uh so we he's got those oh, yeah. we also got uh, uh just um third party devices with uh you know with like embedded in them so yeah. tons and tons of devices I, see, mm-hmm. I seen a cartoon the other day and it was saying this is kind of like a model of the future and it was a family kitchen and you had like the kid who's down and, and on the floor and it's talking to the dog ball and dog balls talking back and the mum's upstairs talking to the microwave and the microwave's talking back and it's like just speech bubbles all over because everything's talking it sounds like that's what your office is looking like <laughs> it's getting there it's getting there <laughs> Dustin when did yeah. you get your first echo I think around the same time. It was uh, within the first month that it came out. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a laggard on this. I only got one but just before I started the podcast. So I'm, I'm playing catch-up. <laughs> but so, so gents, you're, you're joining us to discuss Pulse Labs and also to discuss more broadly voice user testing. So let's kick off. Let's just tell us a little bit about Pulse Labs. I'm sure there's plenty of people who are listening to this who, who are well familiar with Pulse Labs, but tell us a little bit about, about what Pulse Labs does. Sure. So I'll take the first tab and then don't just jump in. So we are very focused on user testing, user research, user insights, and analytics for voice. Uh, so like uh, like Dylan alluded to, voice is it's, it's a very natural interface, but it's very unstructured and unconstrained. Uh, so what we realized that a lot of uh, a lot of designers and developers in the space, they come from a visual background and designing for voice is non-trivial and it takes a different kind of mindset. Uh, so what we help developers do is get real user feedback while they are in that feature exploration phase, while they're in that design and development phase to help them build truly engaging conversational apps. That's the whole focus. Uh, we've taken a much more product-centric, research-centric approach uh, to make that happen. Uh, we just a little bit more on the, the business side of things. We obviously, like I mentioned, went through the Lex Accelerator last year, uh, raised a seed round earlier this year. It was led by Madrona, uh, which is uh, one of the top VCs here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it was both Amazon and Google participated or funded that round. Uh, so I want to say we're one of the few startups uh, that, that are funded by both the major voice platforms. Also got a personal investment from Jeff Bezos. 
uh, and Techstar Ventures. Uh, at this stage, we work very closely with both Amazon and Google. Uh, these are strategic investments, so work closely with their product, their engineering, their UX research teams to try to uh, truly to tease out what makes for a good, engaging experience on Wise. That's essentially what we do. That, that's what we're obsessed with. That's what we work with uh, all the time. Uh, we've probably worked with, I would say, uh, over 120 brands, uh, helping them uh, launch their Wise Wise. Uh, skills or wise actions at this stage yeah uh oh yeah so i mean i would just so usability testing is a critical part of any design uh process you know whether that be web design mobile design voice design but it's actually more important in voice i think than in any other type of design uh for a few reasons one is that Voice is you know, kind of the most natural and most human way that we have of interacting with anything. And so, you know, in visual design, um, the kind of almost innate patterns that we expect don't exist in the same way that they exist in voice design. And so being able, you know, humans have a very specific expectation of how a conversation or how an interaction is going to go when they're talking. And so um, being able to make sure that what you've designed um, actually meets this conversational expectation is extremely important. And the best way of doing that is to just test it and try it with, with real people and figure out, okay, how do you, how do they interact with this? And um, what can we do to change how we built it so that we can better conform to that expectation? And then the other thing is that, um, you know, voice design is inherently much less constrained than visual design. You know, visual design, even as something as simple as yes and no, uh, you can have a yes button and no button. And be pretty and be pretty certain that you're going to limit what your possible inputs there can be. Um, in voice design, there are no uh, such limitations. You know, uh, even in something that simple, you have to be ready for yeah, yes, uh huh, sure, and then a lot of different affirmatives or negatives that are going to be context specific to your individual application. And so, making sure that you addressed all of those um, before you launch or soon after you launch is necessary. And then also, anytime you're looking to improve, making sure you understand how real people are using your application are going to use those improvements is, you know, essentially critical for any strong uh, voice application. Yeah. And just to add uh, to that, Kane, so essentially, even before, you know, when we, uh, the initial days of our plans, we actually spend, I would say, four to six months doing customer validation, right? And this is, this is 2016 when, uh, when things were very new. Uh, so there were, or 2017, but it was like when uh, uh, the few brands that, uh, you know, the brands that were sort of at the cutting edge of this and they were trying to experiment to build their own Alexa skills and launch them. And we spent uh, months just talking to them, trying to understand like, how do they, how do they go through the process of trying to understand what would their consumers be looking to do on their Alexa scale, how do they design for it? And uh, honestly, like if you think of it from the developer's perspective or that product owner's perspective, that's a huge, you know, huge task on their shoulder, right? Uh, like they are, so there's, there's a, there's a, 
a GUI designer or a developer sitting in an office and trying to figure out how are these thousands or hundreds of thousands of million people going to interact with their skill uh, coming from different backgrounds, coming from different parts of the country, coming from different um, you know, uh, localization settings, things like that. And that's a tremendous amount of responsibility without a lot of, you know, adequate tools or like feedback to help them guide them to that, help them to guide them through that process. Uh, so that's actually uh, what got us started down this path where, hey, there is that real need that, uh, that, that you know, there can be a pro there can be and there should be a product solution. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there's there's a few things we can kind of circle back on there. But Dylan, you mentioned initially that this is a it's kind of like a new sort of space, and that some of the innate sort of design patterns that we're accustomed to with kind of graphical designs don't exist yet in voice. What kind of what could you give us some examples of of what you mean by by that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So in visual design, for example. Um, Data is persistent and space can be at a premium. And so something like a nested menu will make a lot of sense. So if you've got a lot of different potential options that you make available to your user, there's no way that you're going to want to display all of those options simultaneously. It'll be overwhelming and there'll be essentially no way of, you know, effectively sorting through them. And so in visual design, you're going to want to create kind of these nested menus where you can drill down and you can say, okay, this is how I find exactly what I'm looking for. In voice, um, data is it's ephemeral. It doesn't last very long. And there's no premium on space. And so in voice design, you need to make every single option, or at least as close as you can to make every single option top level. So at any given spot, you should be able to say, take me to this or give me this, and that should be immediately available. You shouldn't be, you know, essentially constrained to one particular aspect or one particular set of options or choices, depending upon a certain path that you've taken in, in the past. Um, that, you know, that is something that makes a lot of sense in visual design, but it's a real big problem in voice design. And now, do you guys see a lot of designers and developers coming over and and bringing their previous expertise, their previous uh, preconceptions to voice? Yes. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that we help with. And so a lot of what we um, what we help with is, you know, not just the testing aspect of it, but also being able to say, OK, this is what users are doing here. Um, these are some issues or some problems or some frustration points that they're having. And here are some best practices for how to solve that. You know, you know, they'll find them, you know, a user will, for example, request something and it won't be available based upon where they are within some, you know, essentially nested menu. And we'll say, okay, what you need to do here is flatten this. You know, there's no reason to make them, you know, go back to the main menu and then drill down something else. If they ask for it right here, they should just be able to receive it. And uh, I just wanted just to like uh, piggyback on that, right? So another thing is to be able to elegantly handle error situations, right? So uh, given how unconstrained voice can be, uh, I think a lot of developers get intimidated by all oh, like how do we factor for all these inputs, right? And that's again, um, uh, like even if you, yes, I think it's it's hard to like factor in for all the utterances 
that will be sent towards your app or uh, towards your skill or your app. But it's important to handle it elegantly. Essentially, uh, it's important to be able to take the input from the user, but guide them down as best you can uh, to still create an engaging experience. Mm. And what, in terms of that sort of flat structure, um, so I've I've heard Paul Kutzinger mention something similar to this when in in a few of the kind of Alexa webinars that they've done. So you, there's kind of like two trains of thought, isn't there? And I know we'll we'll get back to the testing in a minute, but I just thought we would kind of explore this in, for one sec. The two trains of thought: one is that you almost process map out an experience. So I can see how, for example, with an interactive story, that kind of design process might make sense because you're you're feeding a narrative and at any one time you're only given a certain number of options that then feed into other options. But what we are seeing, and this is similar to what I think Paul Kutzinger was getting to, is that at any point in time, um, let's say it's a, a train booking skill or, uh, you know, I don't know, it could be a podcast skill or whatever it might be. At, at any point in time, you're saying that essentially a user should be able to just ask for anything and be able to, to get that kind of response. So how do you approach that from a design perspective then? Is it that you've just got a load of nodes everywhere and essentially those nodes respond to certain inputs or do you do you process map anything out at all or what's what's your sort of design process for, for coming up with that kind of flat uh, menu structure, if you like? Great question. So there are certain situations in which a more kind of... Uh, in which uh, more of a nested design makes sense. And one of those that you mentioned is that narrative structure. However, um, it doesn't make sense in a lot of situations in which, you know, in the visual world, it would make sense. So for example, if you were building like, you know, a, a train ordering skill or something like that, something that would let you order tickets to it uh, on a train to see, um, it would, you know, you shouldn't limit um, what people can ask for at any given stage. So yeah, I mean, the basic, the visual, um, the visual representation of that would essentially be, you know, one node with essentially as many different options as you possibly can make available at that node. But even that, I think the visual representation there is somewhat, uh, is somewhat misleading because that visual representation is, you know, I think a much more uh, it maps much more directly onto what people are going to be experiencing if you're in, uh, experiencing in web or mobile design than it does in voice design. In voice design, you know, basically you just want to always be available. And so, um, yeah, just as like you know, we're talking right now. If I say you know pretty much anything to you, you're probably going to be able to process that and have a reasonable response to it. Um, even though we haven't gone down a particular, you know, particular menu path. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, Paul's a phen uh, phenomenal uh, voice designer. And uh, yeah, th that's I know that's one of the principles that he really stresses. And it's absolutely true. And it's something that, um, you know, we see quite a bit in the in the testing that we've done is that this is something that, you know, people really need to be aware of. And that shows up in usability testing and we help them figure out, okay, these are particular areas where people are running into these problems and you can, you know, make these modifications to, uh, to help them improve the, uh, the experience. And actually just specifically on that example, right, Kane, if you think of it, right, so if you're ordering like tickets in, uh, on a website, you can, you can to some extent, quote unquote, force the user down a certain path. Like you can say that, okay, you first have to choose your dates, then you have to choose your destination, then the number of passengers, then the 
you know, than your seating arrangement, for instance, right? But when it comes to voice, the the user is actually driving you. The user is in the driver's seat. So user can come in and say, hey, I want two tickets to London, or they can say, I want to go in June, uh, two tickets, you know, so they can play around with that, with the way they give, give you, give you a, give the app that information and it's important for your app to be robust enough to figure out okay i'm getting the dates here so that's my date slot and i'm getting and you need to so at any given time you're looking for in this in this example certain piece of information like you're you're looking for date you're looking for destination you're looking for uh, number of seats right uh, and your your skill needs to be uh, intelligent enough to realize that you will not always get it in the same order sometimes you might get just one piece of information sometimes you might get all three and to be able to elegantly probe for the next piece without annoying the user like what's that right balance mm-hmm. right and that's what makes uh, voice design tricky but also when done right, extremely user-friendly. If you're still writing code uh, to design and test your chatbot's conversational experience, then you should check out BotMock. Uh, It's the smartest way to design and prototype conversational apps. So if you're using things like, you know, mind maps and process maps and whiteboards, or if you're getting straight into the code to try and build some stuff, um, or if you're using things like Sketch to try and build sort of prototypes in, then 100% check out BotMock. You know, it's, it's companies of all sizes using it, small companies, large companies. Uh, you can build Alexa skills in there and it'll save you hours because you can actually collaborate with your whole team while you're designing your thing. It's, uh, you know, even down to handing it over to developers. The whole thing is a, is a huge collaboration tool. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Do check it out. You can try Botmock for free at botmock.com slash VUX world. That's B O T M O C K dot com slash VUX world. That's you mentioned that that's part of the challenge is that people ask for things in different ways and and you know you can say no in in a thousand different ways. Certainly in in the English language, there's a million ways to say a lot of different things. And I've noticed myself with with certain skills, and I've been asked a question or whatever, and I'll say I'll say nah, or I'll say I, I don't know, or, or don't bother. You know, that's what I always say that don't bother. If Alexa's not playing ball, I'll say look, don't bother. But she never understands what I mean when I say don't bother. <clears throat> so 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 from 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 that perspective, there's, there's a lot of potential errors and Abhishek you mentioned there around error handling uh, when it comes to error handling are you looking for to, to kind of recognize what kind of error it is and then serve a specific response to that or do you have kind of generic errors so if it doesn't match any of this criteria then we'll just throw this out there what, what's the approach to to figuring out how to handle errors from what you've done and learned from the testing yeah, so let me uh, jump in, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, so for instance, um, and Dylan actually can even give specific examples, mm-hmm. but it's really important to distinguish when the error is caused by the, the user asking for something that the skill just doesn't provide versus like a misunderstanding, right? So sometimes what happens is uh, the skill just, 
doesn't have a certain uh, certain certain feature set. The user asks for it. The skill comes back and says, "Sorry, I don't understand you." Right? What that inherently prompts is the user now now believes, "Yes, I'm just not seeing the right utterance to to invoke that feature set." Right? That's actually very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Right, so handling situations like that way, uh, such as that, it's it's important to tailor the message going back to the user to truly indicate is this a is this a problem where I just don't offer this feature, in which case stop trying, try something else, or you know I just not supported versus saying I don't understand you, so maybe try saying something else and you'll magically like, yeah. get to where you want to be. Right? So yeah, we, we, we've we've seen skills in which um, the skill will you know yeah, the speech to text will be off, and so the skill will essentially tell the user, I'm sorry, you know we can't do that and we can't handle that. Where in fact the skill is capable of handling what the user requested. It just misunder it just misheard that particular utterance. There are also scenarios in which you know the user will be asking for something specific and um, but it's not something the skill is able to handle. And the skill will treat it as if it didn't as if it just didn't understand what the user wants. And so in those situations you can get into these you know kind of nasty loops where somebody will say something. The skill will essentially ask them to repeat it They'll repeat it. The skill will ask them to repeat it again, and over and over it goes. And so that's yeah. something that we've seen a number of times. that can be extremely frustrating. Yeah, that just makes the user like nuts. Yeah, like they just hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the one of the you know, I mean, there are a few ways of dealing. What one of the simplest ways of dealing with this um, is you know, in these situations, essentially let the user know what you've heard. You know, say you know, I've heard this. Um, I'm, I'm unable to provide that, but if that's not what you said, could you please, you know, say repeat or something like that? You know, something that says, this is what I think you said. If that's not what you actually said, please repeat it. If that is what you actually said, I can't handle or I don't, I'm not, unable to handle that request. And that's a, that's a, it brings up an interesting point in that, uh, we're not going to want to confirm everything, right? Uh, if you if you mm -hmm. said X and I said, did you say X? Why did you say Y, et cetera? Mm -hmm. It's going to get annoying pretty quickly. So when do designers and developers know when to confirm versus when to make assumptions? So if, so, so that's, First off, that can be kind of a gray area. And so there are gonna be specific cases that are sort of on the, on the boundary there. Um, when you want to make an assumption is when, or when you want to assume that you've understood what the user said, is if there are you know, certain utterances that you're very strongly expecting at that point, and you get one of those, and you get something that's definitely one of those. Um, where you don't want to, and where you want to confirm is if you're in a situation where the user says something, and that's not an utterance for which you're prepared or for what you're expecting. In those situations, you want to confirm, okay, did I hear you correctly? And uh, you're just asking for something that I can't do here. Or did I misunderstand what you said? And should I give you another chance to, to ask again? So confirmation is pr particularly important where essentially there's no good response that's been built by the skill for what the skill heard at that point. And uh, another uh, Another way you can also do it, uh, Dustin, is you can do it by like to avoid loops, right? So if the, if the user has basically said, 
let's try to do something uh, twice, thrice. And so rather than going back in, and we've seen this, like there are skills where like mm -hmm. user will sit and say some variation of the same thing like eight times and the skill just comes back with the same response. Mm -hmm. right? That's just that's just a needless, frustrating loop. Mm -hmm. Right At that point, your skill can be intelligent. Well, users try to do this twice already, trying again for the third time. Mm -hmm. Is it I'm just not understanding them? Do I just not support that? So that, again, it can be based. Uh, it can. It's mainly to avoid these these infinite loops that mm. users can just get into. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, exactly. Don't don't always necessarily return back to the same state, even if you're asking the same question, because if you've if you've asked the same question five times or six times in a row. You, you can probably be pretty sure that something <laughs> there's something has gone wrong in the communication. Yeah. yeah. And the best way to think of it is, is how do you have natural conversations, right? Like if, if, if Kane asks me a question and I make him repeat it seven times, so the first time I may ask him to repeat, if I still don't get it, I'm, I'm going to be like, Okay, maybe I'm not getting you, right? There's something mm -hmm. else, right? So it's actually just think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And this and this is kind of more of a general voice user experience uh, recommendation that uh, is available in some situations and becoming more available in others. But you know, when you get an utterance, if there's also and there's some situations where you can do this, where you can also get essentially a confidence uh, mm -hmm. measurement on that utterance. And so you can have situations where you can say, you know, this is what we think the person said, and we are, you know. We're 90% confident that that's what they said. And in those situations, you know, you can tailor your response based upon that. So if you know, you're 90 or 95% confident that they said yes, you don't have to ask them to confirm that. If you know, they think you said yes, but the confidence is only like 55% or something like that, then you might want to confirm. And there are some systems that would that do that. And I think that's going to become more and more of an option as the, yeah. as the ecosystem matures. Yeah. And then there's a, this is another like common, uh, I guess, design error we see. Um, I, you know, the best way to explain it is uh, just take a real world scenario. You walk into a, a restaurant, the waiter comes up and says, "Do you want food or drink?" <laughs> and you turn around and say, "Yes." <laughs> now, does that mean you want food? Does that mean you want a drink? Does that mean you want both? Yeah. I mean, and chances are, in person, the waiter will probably get it because I know the eye contact. But think about it in a design setting, right? And that again leads to a lot of frustration because the the skill will prompt the user will say yes, and the skill either does just makes an assumption and does something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're just like that's not what I asked for, <laughs> or. Or the skill reprompts and the user gives back the same response. <laughs> yeah. So they say, you know, yeah. Do you want this or this or this? You know, and this this happens all the time. Be prepared for yes or no as a response. <laughs> somebody, you know, and if somebody, which which is technically a logical response, and you know, if somebody says yes, you should be prepared for that and say, okay, if you want this, say X. If you want this, say Y or something like that, as compared to just repeating the question. So, so they'll just come back with 
Mm. <laughs> I've noticed that with with a, um, so for example, so, some skills will do that, won't they? Some skills will like frame the the conversation as, or actions. They'll frame the conversation as soon as you enter them, so you can you can use this action to do this or to do that. And when I I always go back to this one because it was just an appalling experience. It was it was it was either national rail or train line. I don't think it was train line because I'm pretty sure a train line have sorted themselves out, but it might have been national rail. It said you can you can book a commute or you can do something else what do you want to do and i was like neither i I, I just want to find out a train time so can i find out a train time going from here to london and it was just like just didn't get it you know what i mean so it's like so what's like what is the what from your experience and all the testing you've done what is the 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 best way to frame them conversations because there's a lot of stuff that you know and it's understandable and I'd probably even recommend the same thing is that when you're starting out and you're first doing your first thing, you kind of want to focus on something specific, don't you? You don't want to have a big, broad brushstroke approach and try and conquer the world. You kind of want to get one use case nailed. What's the, what's the, I mean, I can understand that the, from the testing you've done, if someone, if one skill says you can do A or B, what do you want to do? And, and, and no one wants to do either one of them. It's going to be a nightmare. But how, how is best to, to approach framing the conversation at the outset? If, if, you know, if it's a narrow use case and you really realistically only can do one or two things, what's the best way to kind of frame mm-hmm. it that doesn't infuriate people? <laughs> So, um, so first off, I would say, be um, honest about it. <laughs> this is, yeah, yeah. And, and this is something is that uh, even in very simple use cases, um, testing is actually very important. So figuring out, okay, what are the different, you know, are people going to say, you know, A and B here, but are they also going to say neither, I, I don't know, et cetera, et cetera. And trying to understand, okay, when they say that, what additional information do they want to know? Because, you know, even if you only have a limited number of options, if somebody is saying neither or I don't know, that means that they probably don't understand the functionality of that skill or action. And so um, what you can offer there is if you say, you know, neither, you, uh, the response can be, okay, what this uh, skill or what this action can do is this. So at least make it clear to them that, you know, this is what the functionality is. And maybe that's not what they want, but being able to understand, okay, what I want this ap- application to do is not something it provides, at somewhat this disapp- time. at this time, at this time, you know, can be a little bit disappointing, but it's not nearly as frustrating as thinking this application does something that I want it to do, and I'm not but able to get to I'm it. not able to get it to do that because it's not understanding me. That's a much worse and much more frustrating experience. Yeah. So it's basically really important to manage the user, right? So essentially, I mean, your user is intelligent; they know of your scale. They're coming to that skill to do something specific. They'll understand if you tell them, hey, work in progress, we're building for it. It's not available at this time. So manage it, right? Don't get them into a loop where they're just kind of like, where they're running in circles. That's mm-hmm. one. Uh, so yeah, so manage that and like just be upfront about it. Or like, uh, And second is I think this is actually where exploratory testing is really important. So one of the things we help brands with is when they're building that first experience, right? Because you're right, uh, okay, nobody, uh, you know, nobody goes and says, okay, I'm gonna like 
put all my 5 million features on Wise tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You basically narrow it down and say, okay, these are five use cases that I think will be uh, which uh, which will be attractive to my consumer base, and that's what I'm going to start with. Uh, and we actually help a lot with that. So we try we help brands get you know very targeted guided feedback from their consumer base. And okay, what are some of the things that they were, if consumers familiar with your brand, or fans of your brand, like if they kind of came onto uh, the Google platform on the Amazon platform, what are some of the things they would try to do on Voice. Uh, and that's actually really important. So, so to your earlier point, so you know, if a brand does fifty things, they're looking to uh, launch on Voice with five. It would probably help if they picked five good cases, mm. right? It would not be great if they picked like these five really random things that the consumers really wouldn't be expecting, mm. right? And I think that's really important too. So, um, so yeah, I think a lot of, uh, and I, and uh, that, uh, the good thing is we see a lot of brands doing a lot more of that today. Uh, so, you know, over the past year, we see a lot more brands focused on even that exploratory phase, looking at, okay, hey, uh, can you help us get consumers who have accounts with us, who, you know, around certain criteria, around their frequency of shopping, whatever, and give us feedback on, we're looking to launch on Alexa, we're looking to launch on the Google Assistant, we want to get some sense of what should we launch with. And that should also be user-driven, mm-hmm. right? It shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't, like, it shouldn't be the product owner. Like it shouldn't be solely their responsibility that, okay, I'm going to like think of what, what makes sense. No, just talk to your users. It's easy enough. Hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It sounds, it sounds to me as though you mentioned at the start, Dylan, about, you know, graphical design has innate patterns. It sounds as though from some of the work you, that you two have been doing, it sounds as though you're kind of almost on the verge of, of, understanding what those patterns are for voice i mean from framing the conversation to error handling to you know being able to cope with more than one request at any one time like book me two tickets on thursday to london so it sounds to me as though you're kind of on the verge of almost kind of understanding what these kind of patterns are for voice would you say that's would you say that's true I think we, I think we're still at the beginning of understanding, you know, exactly where everything's going to go in terms of both voice design and um, multimodal design. However, I think there are clear best practices that are emerging and these are, we're at the foundational stage right now. So these are foundational design concepts that I think are going to, you know, kind of bring us to the next level of voice design. But uh, there will be, you know, modifications and rules and improvements based on IO that will be built upon that and then built upon that. So, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot more to learn, but we've, we've learned a tremendous amount from, you know, even where, you know, in terms of Pulse Labs, we've learned a tremendous amount. But I think there's also kind of some emerging best practices out there that uh, you know weren't even there a couple of years ago. Yeah, I totally agree. Like it's a it's very uh, evolutionary, right? And this is that's our goal. Like in, to your point, that's exactly what we want to do, right? We want to uh, we want to spend our time. We want to uh, or grind our teeth, but like learn one by one, like what makes for good engaging voice experience. Another thing is very interesting. Uh, if you think of it, right, with the prevalence of these voice devices 
in a way, it's actually impacting how consumers now talk. So it's actually a feedback loop. So mm-hmm. this, this it's so it's not only uh, so voice design is being influenced by how people speak, but because of how you know designers and developers are now building skills in a way that's setting expectations for consumers of how they interact with these devices. So there's this there's this feedback loop going from humans to machines to machines to humans and back and forth. So that itself will evolve, mm. right? And uh, I'll just give you a simple example. Like, you know, in certain countries, it's it's not uncommon to say, close the light, right? Like normally you say, switch on the light, switch off the light. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not uncommon for in certain countries to say, close the light. Yes, it's grammatically not correct, but that's, that's very common, right? But now what's happening is when as these devices are now getting more popular, consumers in those countries are actually getting a little bit more tuned to saying things differently. So there's that constant feedback. So this is this is good. This is going to constantly play out. And I guess our goal is to be be at the forefront and guide that process to make a better consumer experience overall. Yeah. And then also the technology is evolving as well. So the tools that are available today are going to be, you know, improved upon tomorrow. And just as an example, what I mentioned to you earlier, um, if as a, as a voice designer, you have the ability to get some confidence score upon, you know, how certain the platform is that the, you know, speech to text uh, that they're giving you is actually what the person said, you know, that can then influence your, you know, the design of your of your application and, you know, what decisions that you make in a way that if you didn't have that information, you wouldn't be able to do. And so just as we've seen in web and mobile, there's also going to be, you know, technological innovations and new features that are going to be made available. that are going to, you know, kind of change the way that we structure uh, voice design and how we want to be able to, you know, tune those to what people want to use. Hmm. Interesting. I can see how, yeah, yeah, I can see how when you were talking about the Abhishek about the, um, it can, voice can have an impact on how people talk. Uh, I can just imagine kind of just from, from now on starting all my conversations with Alexa, just walking into a room like, Alexa, just uh, to mean, to mean everybody, <laughs> Alexa, listen, got a point. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That. Yeah, okay. Um. So, I'm conscious at the beginning we we kind of we uh, we heard a little bit about what Pulse Labs does. What I'm keen to do now, we've heard a hell of a lot about you know the insights that you found, the testing that you've been doing, some of the best practice that has come around from the case studies that you've been working on. Um, so it would be nice, I think, to to maybe just kind of close out with telling us how how does Pulse Lab works in practice. So you know, I'm a brand. I want to kind of test my skill. So what would the process be? to actually, you know, what, what does it actually look like? So, so if, I, if I want to test my skill, what would the actual process be for me just having, uh, you know, a, a load of code with a working skill to actually get in some feedback? Uh, what is the whole process around it? So the process is, is that uh, you can uh, reach out to us. So you can go to our website, uh, www.pulselabs.ai. And then, um, or you can email, you know, me at Dylan at pulselabs.ai or info at pulselabs.ai or any of the contact information there. And uh, essentially, 
getting a call or getting some emails with us about what you want to have tested. Um, then what, uh, and we've got a platform that we're going to be opening up very soon to the public where you'll be able to just go on and do this directly. But uh, what you want to do is essentially you just want to specify, you know, what skill or action or application you want tested, uh, what you want your testers to do or try to do while they're using your application, who you want your tester demographic to be. So uh, a little bit on that. We actually have a very large panel of voice testers, you know, both in the United States, Canada, and in the UK. And uh, we're expanding it both uh, within those countries and outside of those countries every day. And so we can do very precise demographic targeting so that we can let you make sure that the people that are providing feedback are the people for whom you're building the skill. Um, and then really kind of what questions do you want them to answer when they're done interacting with the, with the skill or action? And so, you know, what, what, what do you want them to tell you about that experience? And, you know, we can work with you to kind of tailor design those questions so that they best address uh, what you actually are, are trying to figure out. And then we launch the test. Um, our testers uh, test actually on our browser-based platform. And uh, all of that information is then, all of the information from all the sessions is then provided back to the user along with, um, you know, summaries and uh, explicit advice on, okay, these are what people like, this is what they don't like, these are some problems that it seems to be having, these are some suggestions that you might have for improving it, uh, these are some errors that we saw, and these are how you might want to reproduce them. So, you know, really... Um, you know, that's kind of what the what the process entails. And uh, as you know, we mentioned, we've worked with you know over uh, 100 brands so far. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wonderful experience. And we look forward to working with you know hundreds more. Yep. And so you actually do the analysis in terms of rec recommending improvements for the for things that you found as well. That's right. So we basically have. Uh, so firstly, our our. Um, Firstly, our platform is actually live and uh, we're working with some select brands and uh, the major platforms obviously in uh, beta. So they have direct access to the platform. Mm -hmm. So everything that Dylan described, they can actually just do it directly on the platform. Uh, we actually have uh, different service levels. So, and the service levels range from the full service where we do the analysis, come back with, you know, the transcripts, the audio, the annotated, um, you know, annotated feedback, uh, insights, everything. And then obviously there is the, the Salsa where, where we provide the raw data and, you know, the developer can do a lot more of the analysis themselves. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's a subscription. They can take it and they can slice it how they want. Mm. And what, what part of the design process would you recommend doing this at? Because I think that with with typical user research, you tend to kind of, well, how, how, how the theory works and how the practice works is entirely different. So my experience of the practice is that there's a lot of research done up front, then there's a lot of building done in the middle, and then there's a lot of testing done at the end. So And then you find out that everything you've done, you need, you need to kind of redo. So... So obviously the ideal is to have a constant stream of research, a constant stream of testing and a constant iteration of whatever you're doing and building. So maybe I don't know if I've answered that question before I've even asked it, but at what point in the process would you recommend doing this kind of testing? And at what stage in the process are you actually 
seeing people do the testing so in terms of the, what's the theory versus the actual practice and what would you recommend yeah so you bang on uh, um, it's they should do it sooner the better a lot of the brands we work with they actually we actually help them at the exploratory stage mm-hmm. which is actually great so this is uh, this is basically them trying to figure out like what features they should even build as that and then yes and we're on a subscription model so once they subscribe to one of the tiers they're constantly testing through that exploratory through the design and development phase and then a lot of them will actually even once they start getting uh, once they even live they still run user test on some specific mm-hmm. trends they're finding mm-hmm. and then you know you mentioned uh, kind of doing testing at the end and realizing there are a bunch of issues that then need to be addressed um, so doing continuous testing throughout the development process you know testing you know at any stage is much better than not testing however continuous testing throughout the development process one of the nice things that that lets you do is it lets you identify issues or problems before you've built a lot of additional things upon those issues and problems and so you can fix them quickly and then that saves you a lot of work in the long yeah. term basically it helps you create a much more successful app and experience at a much lower cost both in time and dollar mm-hmm. or power right like that's that's mm. wicked that sounds fantastic well gents this has been an absolute pleasure by the way that noise that, that your listeners that the listeners might have heard there was dustin jumping out he had to just nip off to another to another meeting so um, i don't think i'm going to be able to get rid of that noise <laughs> um, but yeah guys thank you so much for joining us that's been an immense conversation where, where can people find out more about post labs and, and kind of get involved if they want to get involved or, or follow what you're up to and stuff like that so uh, you go to our website, which is just www.pulselabs.ai, and then Obviously you can also media. follow us on uh, on Twitter. Our handle is Pulse Labs AI, and uh, or Facebook or LinkedIn, and uh, or you know just send me an email, Dylan at pulselabs.ai, and uh, we'd love to we'd love to talk to you. Fantastic, gents! Thank you so much. Cool. All right, thank you, Kane. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Kane. Great job. That was Abhishek Southern and Dylan Zwick. Thank you so much for joining us, gents. That was an absolutely epic conversation. Um, I think it sounds as though from from the conversation that we're having there. I mean, Dylan mentioned at the beginning that you know there is a lack of um, sort of specific design patterns when it comes to voice in comparison to to web and mobile and stuff like that. But it does sound as though there are some basic foundational principles that the guys at Post Labs, Labs are finding through the testing that they've been doing. Things like handling errors, things like framing the conversation, things like being able to handle. Um, I can't remember the, what the, the phrase that. that the actual use now but it's also like multiple uh, queries isn't it where someone says two kind of things at once so get me a train ticket for two people on Thursday to London you know if you say four things at once you need to be able to handle that whole request so it sounds it does sound as though they're, they're kind of beginning to get together uh, some of the core foundational principles um, that can be applied to more or less any skill hopefully uh, any voice experience actually in fact um, 
And I'm hoping that, that we got across the uh, the importance of testing in that episode, right away from the beginning, from exploratory testing to define and round out a use case, through to prototyping and iterating, and all the way through to production, and even during production, to, to iterate on further use cases. Usability testing is, is vitally important. I mean, you know, I'm kind of passionate about this in general anyway. I can't kind of speak highly enough for, for user research and, and testing, because what we think doesn't matter you know if you're a designer what's in your head doesn't matter and if you're a developer it's exactly the same and if you're a client and a brand all the things that are in our heads don't matter if it doesn't work for the people that use it you know if you start with an outward in approach and you design things based on user needs and the only way you can find out what those needs are and find out whether or not what you think is a good idea is in fact a good idea is to get it in front of people so i would definitely recommend checking out post labs all the links to all of the contact details and the website and everything is all in the show notes thank you for joining us dylan and abishak thank you for doing Thank you for joining us, Dylan and Abhishek, and thank you, Dustin, for co-hosting, and thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.